Welcome to Screen Actors Guild, where we explore Oscar-winning actors and the embarrassing films they'd rather forget. I am your host, Michelle, the horse that can fly far into the sky. I'm just the horse. And, <laughs> and I'm Henry, the demon whose face comes apart. Oh. Uh, I actually I want to pick the devil who wears a Jimi Hendrix shirt in the year uh, 1916. That's who I would like to be. Uh, there's uh, so if it's not obvious, this is our Jennifer Connelly episode. <laughs> yeah, guys. Duh. Uh, so Jennifer Connelly won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind, which was written and directed by this, or at least written by the same person that wrote the movie that we watched. Yep. Uh, which is crazy. That's crazy. Uh, so, before we get into the movie, there are some things about Jennifer Connelly that need to be shared with you from the Internet Movie Database. Is she slim? Is it her slim figure? Uh, well, so she does have five trademarks. Yes. Uh, I'm going to read them. I'll jump around here. Uh, freckle on her upper lip. What? Physical feature. <laughs> uh, thick, uh, Dark, thick eyebrows. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Deep, sultry voice. Okay. Okay, yeah. Dark hair and green eyes. That's just her that's just a trademark, regular face. Trademark. Curvaceous buxom figure. <laughs> I think I think first of all, internet stupid, but second of all, internet wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Internet internet uh, fundamentally misunderstand what those words mean. Yeah, internet does not know what internet means. Um yeah, that's not the word that I would use. Curvaceous would not be the word. I mean, it's not voluptuous, which it's like, it, this is clearly written by the same person, but they decided that it has to be something different than voluptuous yeah. because Kate Winslet's voluptuous. Yes. So Jennifer Connelly, well, she has to be something different. Maybe one so refers choose... to uh, the bottom curve, and the other one refers to only the top curve, which is why they gave the second qualifier buxom to like really make sure you knew not booty. I, I mean, they're they're all synonyms, but <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, there's just some internet movie database creep who's going from actress to actress they have talking about how curvy they are yeah they are. have their own value system for which curves are assigned to which words despite the fact that they are all synonyms i mean it could be fucking olive oil from popeye yeah and they t- talk about it as a as a curvaceous <laughs> voluptuous figure yes uh there are there's some trivia things that are worth knowing about her can't wait this is this this one's le- like these are less buck wild than some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. But there are some good ones. So Michelle, in three of her movies, Dark City, Requiem for a Dream, and House of Sand and Fog, she appears standing at the end of a pier in a striking image. All three directors created the shots for different reasons, and they are not an homage or reference to each other, just a coincidence. I mean, That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, she, appears, it's like she appears in a lot of movies with close-ups. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. uh, with a beautiful mind and Reservation Road has now played the wife of Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix, who both appeared in Gladiator 2000. This has not been updated. She's been in like three movies with Russell Crowe, I think, at least. Uh, played the wife of Russell Crowe oh, and Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, But that's important to know because they're both in Gladiator. Perfect. Uh, she's one of 22 Oscar-winning actresses to have been born in the state of New York. 
I can read them all if you want, but I won't. Great. Uh, she has ADHD, for which she has been medicated ever since she was a kid. That's like the only legit trivia so far. Well, there's also that she returned to work seven months after giving birth to her son, Kai, in order to begin filming Walking the, Awaking the Dead, returned to work five months after giving birth to her son, Stellan, in order to begin filming Dark Water, returned to work ten months after giving birth to her daughter, Agnes, to begin filming Stuck in Love. So it's important that we oh. know <laughs> how many months she rested after after having the baby. Breaking news. Woman returns to work. It's like, who's keeping track of any of this? Any of this. Any of this at all. Uh, maybe it's the same person that, uh, is interested in her curvaceous buxom figure. Probably. Uh, but, you know, uh, outside of that, good actress. Good actress. Been around yep. forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since, uh, since the old Labyrinth days, eh? Yeah, since Chase and David Bowie. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, like, I wouldn't describe her as an actor with, like, a ton of range. She's very understated. I think that... In a good film, she can really, she's got that concerned look, and she can really <laughs> harness it. What's the, the brows do for real? <laughs> That's true, but also, like, I was going through Jennifer Connelly movies before we recorded, and a lot of the ones where she appears, like, on the cover, it's about, it's kind of the same expression. And I don't mean to say that she's, like, only has one tone, but... No. She does have like a look, and in, and in this movie, I would say that that is the range of her acting: is her looking concerned in different directions. Yeah, I mean, like I think she's believable. It's just that she's believable as like a single type of person, and I yeah. like she's good in a beautiful mind. And I think yeah, it was yeah, also she's just good. like I really you... do like Jennifer Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that you know when given bad directing and bad writing, it's only concerned face. Right. Yeah. That's all she's bringing to this movie. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, lovely it's... actress. I I'm down. Um, yeah. So multiple multiple Oscar winning actors in this particular yeah. film we're getting ready to discuss four yeah. apparently. Oh, um, four? Yeah, the old woman, apparently. What? Yeah, yeah, let me look, <laughs> look up her name. It's Ava, Ava Marie something. She's like a million years old and Googling. Let's see. But yeah, that's, so Russell Crowe. That's unexpected. Well, Jennifer yeah, Connelly. Uh, William Hurt. Oh, right. I forget that William Hurt's in this. Oh. He's like kind of in it a lot. Yeah, just, like, but there's gone. there's a reason. You should forget that he's in this because I hope he, he is hoping everyone will forget. Oh, yeah, Ever Marie Saint. I don't know oh. what she's in. Uh, all along the waterfront. Oh, uh, okay. That's wow, probably what that's she... her from All Along the Waterfront. Holy shit! Wow, she's still alive. Yeah, or maybe not anymore. But she was she in this movie. She was in this movie and. Yeah, yeah, so for On the Waterfront, that's what she won. Crazy. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that she uh, was anybody, uh, obviously. This movie, this movie, which, by the way, is called Winter's Tale. It's called Winter's Tale. Is stacked yeah. with acting talent and a lot of other things. So much stuff. So, so much, much stuff. stuff. This movie, before we get into the way, we're going to have to get into it scene by scene because of the amount of stuff. But, like, uh-huh. initial impressions. How did this make you feel after watching it and during watching it? So, 
This movie was without question the highlight of my week. <laughs> it was so uh, fun. It's so fun. It is not good. No. It is absolutely <laughs> it is a fucking train wreck. But like so a lot of the movies we watch you know, they like they're trying to do too many uh they're trying to be too many different types of movies mm-hmm. or they're like they're not quite going for it enough. Yeah. This movie fucking goes for it so hard. This movie like, sends it like I've never seen before. Like yeah. even in the trailer, you know you're in for a bit of a ride. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I should I should explain at the top though. I've seen this movie before, but I was sick with the flu with a literal it was a literal fever dream because <laughs> when you suggested this movie my initial thought was like I bet it's not going to be bad enough. I remember it being a boring love story. So this guy <laughs> was yeah, it's... clearly all hopped up on cold meds or fell asleep for the second half because I certainly don't remember most of these things. I remember an out-of-time love story. And yeah, I, <laughs> I will say, there is nothing boring about this movie. No, nope, no. Nope. It is it's only boring if you're asleep, which hard... I must have been. This... It's hard to follow. Uh, Impossible to follow. There's... It is jam-packed with weird, but it is not boring. This is like... no. This is one of the more fun movies we've watched. I paused it so many times to go rewatch mm-hmm. stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I normally mm-hmm. do that maybe once, twice. If there's like mm-hmm. a line I couldn't understand and I didn't have closed captioning turned on. Dude, I paused so many times. There's, uh, there's just a lot of moments that I wanted to really like solidify in my brain to draw upon later for inspiration when I need uh, another fever dream. <laughs> just... It- one of the things I really like about this movie is it is ostensibly, well, it's like a fantasy historical fiction. Yeah. But it makes like no effort with the historical part of the historical fiction at all. Oh, like, no. there, it's just playing fast and loose with how the world works in reality, not irrespective of the fantasy part of it. Like, yeah. I get that, like, there aren't demons in New York. Fine, right? Sure, of course. Flying horses. But why not? Like, like I'm on board if it's fantasy, and yet. But the humans make decisions <laughs> and explain how human works in ways that could not possibly be true. Yeah, one of my biggest beefs, and I ended up going down a rabbit hole where I had to pause the movie and learn as much as I could about tuberculosis. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. 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 I was like, yeah, tuberculosis is really sad, and and you die, and it's very wait, it's not contagious. It is contagious. Even in the narrative of this movie, they can't pick out whether it is or is not contagious. Oh, man, and that is, like, the least of a problem of how tuberculosis is portrayed in this. All right, we got to just get Let's into get it. Right we got to just get into it. Let's just go uh, starting at the old top. Yeah. Ellis Island. So, so you have, uh, well, first, oh, yeah, yeah, you're introduced yeah. to, to Colin narrative. Farrell in, uh, in a Snape haircut while Lady Sybil from Downton Abbey yeah. does this, like, Looney Tunes voiceover mm-hmm. that includes... A bunch of crazy, but one of which is, what if light doesn't come from a star, but from angels? Which really sets up how much this movie is not going to make sense. Yeah. And it's also, it goes on forever. The narration just, it doesn't really say anything. It's a lot of that, like, what if the changes we make affect the atmosphere 
and forevermore, <laughs> the future we shape, and the love all around us, it is real. It's got, like, but it's, your first poetry reading vibes, It's for It's sure. that forever. It's that for, like, two minutes, and then just, like, what, aerials and intro stuff, and then, like, we're placed... Yeah, we get, we get Colin Farrell and Snape haircut, feverishly, like, looking through, like, like a, an attic, it looks like, right? Isn't that? Yeah. yeah. With, like, boxes in an attic. And then, jumps, and, yeah, and, and then jumps back into before times, which we don't quite understand is happening, but maybe understand is happening, uh, right. to, like, the late 1800s, and a Russian couple is being turned away at Ellis Island because they have pulmonary tuberculosis. I don't even know it's pulmonary. They say like, it's they you... say it's pulmonary when they listen to his heart or his lungs. They got a stethoscope out and they say pulmonary, and then they like write a letter on his back with a. T. They write a T, and then oh, there's a T. Yeah. Okay, I didn't see the T. All I got was you have to go back. It's pulmonary. Yeah. Which is like nothing. Yeah. Pulmonary tuberculosis. But back then, makes a little bit yeah. More sense. And so in the world of this movie, and I think it's important we put, note this right now because it got confusing later. They are refusing two people with tuberculosis from being in the country, ostensibly because other people could catch it, right? right. Why else would you, yes. if it's not a contagious disease, no one would turn you away to Ellis Island. And they are hell-bent on getting their baby into America. Um, right. So they're like, what? Can you just take our baby? Take we'll baby, go back to wherever we're from. Our accents don't make sense. We'll take our baby. Yeah. Uh, and, and these Russian people are put back on the boat that they came from. And they're the only two people on this All boat, alone. which is very weird. Uh, and they have their infant baby. Yeah. And they're like, what do we do with this infant baby? <laughs> and they see a toy boat. And they break the glass, the toy boat's in, and then they put their infant baby into a toy boat and lower it alone into fucking New York Harbor, and you get a shot of the baby in this toy boat, which they have not verified yeah. is seaworthy. It's a model into ship. The water. It couldn't be. It's the most narrow vessel known to man. It's made to, like, fit into a slim glass case that hangs on your wall, and they get their squalling, crying baby crammed in there, like kind of a big baby, like probably like yeah. a six-month-old baby, just jam it in there. And then lower it on a rope and pulley, or lower it on ropes into the water, and then just commit attempted infanticide. And you get a shot of how far so this toy ass boat far. is from New York City. Miles. And it is like in the ocean. They have signed this baby up to die. It is. You know what the wild. better option would be? Just fucking kick it into the sea. <laughs> I mean, just, just just punch it. Just like just, this whole this all the showmanship. Just 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 <laughs> be honest with yourself about what you're doing. You're saying if my son cannot make it into America, my son cannot make it and will not make it. <laughs> right. There are there is one thing worse than death, and it is going back to whatever country we might be from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the worst. It really does set you up for the logic that you're in for for the rest of the movie because there's magical logic and then, yeah, there's human decisions. And human decisions right. are... Just the dumbest human logic. Making... So, like, flash forward. Yeah. This baby has survived and it is Colin Farrell with an Irish accent. Thick Irish brogue. Dis 
a thick Irish brogue, despite his parents being Eastern European and him being raised entirely in New York City. In New City. York City. Yep. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with Colin Farrell at his most Colin Farrell. Uh-huh. Uh, the, street, I, the streets raised him, essentially. Why did they... Why did they let him do the act? Like, he can do a different accent. Did he insist on the Irish accent? Like, it makes absolutely no sense. And I will ask you, why did they make uh, Russell Crowe do an Irish accent? Well, as far as I can tell, they made Russell Crowe do an Irish accent so that they can explain Colin Farrell's Irish accent. Because Russell Crowe says that he raised Colin Farrell. Of course, that is not how accent transfer works. And also, that's not even how this movie works. Because what's up with the older Native American man who is apparently the guy who raised Colin Farrell that you meet later? Yeah, who is Graham Greene, who's a fucking institution. Yeah, yeah. uh, A legend and a treasure. And they bring him in to... Basically do some mystical woo-woo shit, and then they remove him from the movie for from there on out. Uh, yeah. He's in there just to basically say that he kind of raised Colin Farrell, and then to say some stuff about, yeah, about, like, how mysticism works, and how, like, symbology, and to explain that the horse is a dog, <laughs> and then... And then... And then he's out of the movie, but so, yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, who knows? Colin right. Farrell sure does have a, have a thick Irish accent in this movie, though. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, you get Colin Farrell. He has just like escaped through a big fence. He slips and falls on ice, and there's like a thousand men in bowler hats chasing him. Yeah, and then he turns to the right, and there's a white horse, and the horse bows to him, and then he gets on the bowing horse. Yeah. And then he flies well, through the air. Oh, wait, pop, hang pop, 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 Okay, okay, okay. Real quick, real quick, okay, real quick. Okay, okay. He's running away from Russell Crowe and his cronies. Russell Crowe has a firearm. Oh, mm-hmm. it's cronies. Mm-hmm. He has a firearm, and they say, shoot him. And he says, no, we want to do it slow with the knives. <laughs> and then there's a horse behind a wall that Russell Crowe can't see, which he then gets on, and please continue. And then, yeah, he gets on. He then jumps and the like horse disappears into the air and he comes out another side and Russell Crowe like knows about the horse from the jump it's like Russell get he's got the horse we got to get the, the horse. horse he's got the horse uh who called and then Russell Crowe's eyes flash green like he's a, got a magical property. oh I missed that oh yeah that's when I knew right away I was like horse horse interesting horse magical uh uh-oh, demonize. I'm not mm-hmm. in a safe place. Not horse in a safe also space. Not, horse not have name. Like Never Colin have name. Fa- Colin Farrell immediately adopts this horse. Like, he tells yeah. a different character, this horse is my business partner now mm-hmm. uh, in it's his thieving horse. business. Uh, he's my business horse. Mm-hmm. And, like, usually when you adopt an animal, you give it a name. Mr. Oates, Stephen, Cloppy. You got yeah. an infinite number of options and what he goes with is horse. Oh, and he says it, he really puts that name to use. Oh, that he says name... it over and over. Like, he's trying to charm the horse by telling it his name a bunch of times. Like, it's out of fucking Dale Carnegie. <laughs> I went and rewatched the, the horse jumping over the fence scene. And it got, I think I got to, like, six six times that he says horse. I was like, oh, just one more, just one more. I just need one more horse, one more horse. And he mutters horse under his breath and then jumps the fence. <laughs> yes, fuck Yeah. <laughs> They should track horse in this movie the way they track fuck in The Big Lebowski. 
Absolutely. Uh, yes. So uh, it's established that he's got a magical horse. He he instantly he instantly accepts that he's got a magical horse too. Mm-hmm. Like oh yeah, like it's no big deal. There's a way that people in this movie react to magic that suggests either there was more that was supposed to go into the script where there's magical realism happening all the time or that the movie doesn't understand what the movie is and none of the actors understand what the actors are doing because everyone's just like, oh, uh uh-huh, yep. Like, oh, we'll explain it away in post. We'll explain it away in post. (laughs) (laughs) It is 100% unclear to me if throughout this Colin Farrell knows about all the magic shit or not because it definitely has to be explained to him but he also does seem to like know that he has like a miracle to give and i don't understand the miracles every right, human no. has one does well, every human have a miracle okay well they do try to tie this up at the end in a very unsatisfying way uh so we then get a shot of uh we are introduced to lady sybil i don't know the character's name She's going to be, I don't know the actress's name either. She's going to be Lady Sybil from here on out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Introduced to her playing the piano, just really Stevie wandering it up in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And William Hurt, her father, has brought in a doctor to fit her with eyeglasses. And and this is when I begin to wonder, like, what is the illness she has? Because they have all the windows windows open. All the windows. And he just says, we have a fever in the house. Right. So she needs to stay cold at all times. Yeah. And then she describes it as the fever. It can make things wonderful. Even now, I can see winter as it turns around the room and the light. Like, yeah. it is... Uh, it she makes comes downstairs to no see sense. the eye doctor, and the first thing out of her mouth is, don't worry, it's not contagious. Yes, it is. Well, they didn't know. They didn't know. I think that's fair. I, I will defend the movie in this case. They didn't know. They called it Consumption. They the thought, thing is, though, yeah. then why were people turned around at Ellis Island for having consumption? It's a great question. Nobody See, knows. I think the movie knows and then doesn't know. Okay, also, that's fair. She's, that's fair. She, if she's not contagious, then it makes sense that she's hanging out with her, like, five-year-old sister. Right. Because she's, like, smothering her in kisses. All the time. All the time. So uh, the movie forgot. And at this point, not only are you introduced to Lady Sybil and her tuberculosis, you're also introduced to the lens flare. J.J. Abrams would be embarrassed <laughs> by this movie. He would, he would, like, stop and have an intervention with That's this movie so to funny. tone down the lens. My flares. notes were this This movie is a J.J. Abrams wet dream. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's every scene. It's, like, it's just nothing but, like, lens flare and sparkles everywhere. But mainly lens flare and those, like, god rays just coming yeah. out of absolutely everything. Because that's the angels that provide us with light, of course. Yeah, it's coming uh, down from the stars, a.k.a. angels. So so uh, then, like, Colin Farrell f- finds another angel friend who we don't, we never, like, we sort of in- meet over and over again throughout the movie, but are never really introduced to, uh, yeah. who, like, has a little conversation with the horse. And, uh, like you do. Mm-hmm. Then we're introduced to, the to uh, Russell Crowe's gang headquarters. Oh. Uh, and Everything about Russell Crowe's gang is the best. It's so good. They're all dressed identically. They're, yeah. And they are, for the next hundred years, yes. uh, they all just wear bowler hats and black suits. But there's some great shit in this room. 
because you're introduced to the lead henchman, whose name is Romeo. Uh, yeah. And he's walking Forget by... Forget that actor's this... name. He, yeah, anyway, he's, in, uh, he's in Superbad. He's in some yeah, other shit. Yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, uh, he's... Yeah, he's like part of that Apatow-verse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, but he walks past uh, a bunch of chalkboards. And written on the chalk... <laughs> I had to stop, stop and start it over and over again so I could get what's on the chalkboards. And I'll read you what it is as I saw it. Water supply vulnerabilities. Flammable. Gold shipments. Charity payrolls, list of bribable officials, which includes politicians and actresses. Perfect. And unprotected food banks and toy deliveries. It is like... So it's just <laughs> crimes. Catch all. Crimes. You poison the kids, bribe the officials, poison the water supply, then light the water supply on fire. It's the charity payrolls that I find particularly vexing. Like... <laughs> The rest of it's it, so good. Yeah, the rest of it suggests like some plan, uh, and then <laughs> like Judd Apatow Romeo comes in the room and tells Russell Crowe people are scared all over the city. Miracles are down by half, so they're yeah. like they're measuring it's, miracles. It's a real Santa Claus moment, you know. Yeah, it's a real people are losing their faith. Everyone, mm-hmm. but it but it's backwards. It's everybody needs a miracle. Let's prevent that. Right, and then. He, what is he? He opens up a big bag of jewels. He's got a big old pile of jewels. And then Russell Crowe and his crazy, like, very difficult to understand, clipped Irish accent says, like, oh, I don't, I don't keep these jewels and the gold for the money. Do you know I keep them because of the way they accept the light? And then he opens up a window and light casts its way in onto a pile of jewels that he rustles around on the table like he's trying to, like, read tea leaves. And then that casts some light onto a different table and he walks (laughs) over onto that table and it's a 3D hologram of Grand Central Station. He's like, ha-ha. He's in Grand Central Station. Yeah. But then he's not even there. Like, (laughs) the rubies... Don't even give him a, like they they do this amazing thing that doesn't work. Uh, Does Romeo know that that's happening? Can he I, see I, that? I think so. Because he doesn't so. react to it, so he must be used to the magic, but doesn't question the magic. He's right? keeping track of miracles, so like he so he has to know. That's true. Yeah, you're right. So he's aware, and he knows that he's working for. At this point. We just know he's a thug who has glowy eyes who can read right. jewels. This who is keeps what track we know so far. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, God. Uh, <laughs> and, like, Colin Farrell and Lady Sybil meet, and they, like, instantly fall in love because he tries to rob their house. Uh, yeah, the way that they meet, though. So he creeps into her house. He creepy crawls. Mm-hmm. She's, like, getting too hot. She's got a tent on the roof so that she doesn't get too hot. Mm-hmm. The way this movie understands, like, fevers and stuff is just like, always be outside. Never always be don't cold. be outside. Always be cold. Always be freezing. Get... ABF. Yeah. Always be freezing. <laughs> exactly. And so she goes into some room that has, like, a nice cold pool to, like, cool off her head. And when she comes back, he's robbing the place. And uh, he walks into the room and, like, a board on the ground squeaks. And she looks up. And he's got a gun. And mm-hmm. he just says, squeaks. And then she looks at him, and she just says, age. And then he looks, and, and then a moment passes, and she says, you have a gun. Robbing the place. And it just goes on like that for a little while until they mm-hmm. establish that he's not going to kill her with the gun that he very much has. And that's how humans talk in this world. 
And and they fall in love then, basically. Yes. Yeah, she offers him tea, tells him that she's never been kissed, that she's dying, has six months to live tops, and they fall in love. By the way, I gotta th- say a thing. It's not about this movie. It's about how Hollywood treats the actress who plays Lady Sybil. They will never let this woman live out a story. Ever. <laughs> ever. They kill every... She's a very charming actress. I like yeah. her a lot. And they yeah. kill her in every fucking thing she's in. <laughs> she's in this she- awesome uh, show called Harlots. That's yeah. about like sex workers in like uh, London in the 17th century, mm-hmm. and she's a great character. And they like randomly kill her in the middle of that. They randomly kill her in fucking uh, Downton Abbey. They like they don't randomly is kill her. Is she in gonna this, but, be? Like, is she gonna be like the Sean Bean of like she's totally of, of she's turn a lady of the bean. century era era fiction, where if you see her in it, you know the curtains are about to be drawn on that character, like within a season. Oh, yeah, all right. She's not Lady Sybil anymore. She is She-Bean. All yeah, right. she's She-Bean. She, I'm writing it. She-Bean. <laughs> all right, so Colin Farrell and She-Bean fall in love. <laughs> and, uh, and then Colin Farrell leaves. And this is one of my high points. Th- yeah. This movie uh, forces Colin Farrell to look at the horse and dramatically say to the horse the following line. Horse, what have you gotten me into, horse? And then right away. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even write down more notes. I just wrote in huge letters across my paper, horse, because it's the <laughs> only thing that matters now. <laughs> in that sentence, a third of the words are horse. <laughs> so good. Uh, is, uh, the next, oh is the next scene my favorite scene? Is it the... I, th- I think so. And there is this is the restaurant. Uh-huh. So many good things in this scene. Yes, uh, please. Let me... You have the floor. Okay. Take it. So, Russell Crowe and his... And the, and the cronies, the bowler hat cronies, they walk into a room, and a waiter appears, maitre d' appears at the front, and he says, how many will you be... Ha-? First of all, the <laughs> restaurant clears. There's a bunch of normal-ass tables, and then at the end of a long hall, there's just, like, a big, like, it's like what you would have at a, what do they call that at a wedding when the bride and groom have their special table that faces oh, all the I other ones? I don't know what that's called, <laughs> but yeah, that's totally what it is. It's that. And then everybody just immediately clears, because they're gangsters, everyone's afraid, and mm-hmm. as he's walking to the table, a man asks, how many will you be having? Normally that means humans sitting down at a table. In this case, it means endless oysters, forever and ever. Right. They, he says, How however many you've got... And then we get a scene of Russell Crowe just surrounded yeah. by like the, hundreds of empty oyster shells. Oh yeah, just the whole like the whole ocean floor at his table, and he's <laughs> and he is monologuing to no one in particular in this like under his breath sounds pretty drunk, very difficult to understand Irish accent about angel wings. And like, oh, oh, yeah. the angels, and they won't let us up there, but I wonder what color the wings are. I'd like to have some wings. And then at that moment, the most amazing thing happens. A man, the waiter walks over to the table, and he says, will there be anything else? And Russell Crowe stands up, and he says, yes. I would like a South African spotted owl eagle, which I looked up. It's a real thing. I'll have a South African spotted owl eagle, butterflied and pan fried with a little bit of potatoes and parsley. And he goes into detail. <laughs> and then he says the only thing that you can say, which is we don't got that. Mm-hmm. And then we don't serve owl in yeah. this American <laughs> or, human restaurant. Or eagle or whichever one it is. And then his Russell Crowe's face like cracks and fissures and opens up 
and his eyes glow, and then he slashes the waiter's throat and uses the blood to create a little drawing on the, he smears it around, smears it around on the white tablecloth, and then points to one of, to Romeo, Apatel Romeo, and says, you're gonna have to find that girl. What girl? Yeah. The red-haired girl, the red-haired girl, and he's just pointing to this, like, what looks like a kid's finger painting, mm-hmm. um, and then, and then he calls the waiter a virgin. Late, much later, right? Like, it's not there. It's oh, in it like is a, later. It it's is in like later. a half hour. He says that he painted this picture with virgin's blood. Mind you, this waiter, you know, my heart goes out to him. I know. He's, he's, he's an adult. He's an adult man. Yeah. He's, he's, there's nothing about him that suggests that he couldn't have sex with somebody. Yeah. Uh, but he never got to. He never even, got to. Even she being gets to. I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. His... It's not the only time that Russell Crowe talks about virgin blood. He's pretty into virgin blood. Yeah, in this he's movie. pretty into the virgin blood. He's pretty into having that face open up, too. And, like, the way it opens up is, like, um, like picture those photos that you've seen of Death Valley and what happens to mm. Earth when it gets very hot. And that's what happens to Russell yep. Crowe's face. Uh and I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. Yeah. It's like in Men in Black, when they open up the face and there's like a little person inside. Uh-huh. Which is the very beginning of that. Yeah. It's like his face is about Early. to open up to expose an alien, but it's just like, yes. ah, er, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't, didn't get all the way there. And something I learned about this movie is that they had hired a visual effects team. The visual effects team went bankrupt and a different team. They had to farm out the rest <laughs> of the, to finish the job to another team, which like... Sometimes that could work out. In this case, it very much did not work out. This was like a 2014, 15, 2014 Yeah, this was film. made recently. And it is, uh, the effects I would describe as very not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amateurish. <laughs> very not great. But that is, uh, yeah, far and away my favorite part of this movie. Because you're just like, and it, it's a straight up Nick Cage performance in that scene. It is. Like it is. Really the whole movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, Russell Crowe's acting is just indiscernible dialogue and then just twitching, twitching, eyes glowing. It's, it's honestly terrible. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. It's the uh, It's the oyster, the, it's the pile of oysters. Like, it's one of the best visuals in a movie full of bananas visuals. It's Russell Crowe just, it's like the fucking animation version of the walrus and the carpenter after they've eaten all the oysters is yeah. just like surrounded uh, uh. and then we get introduced to graham green we forgot to mention an important thing about the uh the scene with the first scene with russell crowe and his crony uh-huh uh with the ruby oh and he's uh, talking about his pile of jewels that that scene yes. russell crowe says uh you have to get the horse and Ro- and his his henchman says, "Okay, we'll get the horse." And Russell Crowe says, "It's not a horse; it's a dog." And yeah. Goes, what? <laughs> uh, flash forward. Colin uh, Colin Farrell is talking to Graham Greene. Graham Greene is uh, being his great self, and then like does some woo woo mythology talk. Yeah. And then says that there's this like angel who's a dog. Yeah. And He's also got some... sometimes a horse, but is fundamentally a dog. <laughs> He's fundamentally a. Athensor or something and he's fundamentally a dog but he can appear as take the form of a horse there's so much shit in this movie already <laughs> like 
The fact that horse... Why does he need to be a dog? The fact that horse is horse is enough. Like Why can't he just be a and, horse? And horse isn't even horse. Horse is definitely Pegasus. So, like, the fact right. that it's already a magical flying horse that just appears out of nowhere, that, they were like, mm, this movie's an onion, and everything's got third layers and, and fourth and, layers. And you never get to see it as a dog. Of course not. You are just... To- it's like a... One of those dreams where you like meet <laughs> yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow, but she has like, but she's actually you. It's like, yeah, it's got your face, but I know it's Gwyneth Paltrow. It's like that, but like, like this, this, this horse that is only ever a horse, it just is a dog. So movie. much of this movie, like, is predicated on an assumption that you've read the book or that you just inherently understand that everything is everything else. And you're just going to take it as wrote. And it's it's honestly like, I bet this movie drove people fucking nuts who read the book because it's not for them. And it's certainly right. not. And it, it feels like being dropped into the middle of a movie. Like you, your movie ends and then you walk in and you're like, let's sneak into like the second <laughs> half of whatever is playing next door. And so then you walk into the middle of Winter's Tale and you're like, oh, I don't get it. But of course I don't get it. They established all the rules at the beginning. No, they no. Did not. No. no, this movie is like simultaneously entirely exposition and no exposition. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Russell Crowe goes and like finds Lady Sybil, who I uh, sh- sorry, she being. Uh, oh, but how being, does like, how does he find guess, it? Has red hair. He's like, yeah, go get the woman with red hair. And then he and holds up the drawing that's like right. a s- blood smear, which also had to be translated from its original form of being a blood smear on a tablecloth. So then from that, they transferred it to like like a seventeen by t- like like an eleven by seventeen like poster sized thing of just someone smearing the canvas with conceivably more blood. And, and every every person in the city seems to have a copy of this picture in 1916. Yes. Like her chauffeur, it appears to be her, just her regular chauffeur, has a picture of her, which also means like, Russell, it's just a, it's just like a smeary drawing of kind of red hair. Like. What it looks like is like the pro, is it, yeah, it's like a, a smear of red hair and then a woman looking to the side from behind. So you see like the outline of a nose and a chin, and that is fucking it. It's it's also like her hair, one, is not that red. It's pretty, Two, pretty, pretty brown. Pretty brown She's town. not the fucking only red-haired person, woman in the city. Like if every single uh, working man working stiff in New York City circa 1916 has this picture of her or of some red-haired woman from behind? Like, how many different goon gangsters are rolling up on the Tilda Swintons of this city just grabbing them, on the Julianne Moores of this town, just grabbing them? And also, okay, so Russell Russell Crowe, so Colin Farrell, raised in America, has a very thick Irish accent, and he was raised Mm -hmm. on the streets. On the streets. On the streets, yeah. So you must assume that those streets were wildly Irish streets that he was raised on. <laughs> oh, Can shit. you imagine right. how many red-haired how women many red-haired are women being are. mistakenly served on a platter to Russell Crowe in the background in a different movie that is also happening parallel to this movie? Like, how many stops did he have to go to to get to the one with Shebeen? Right. Because he eventually rolls up, but, like, it's got to be 
thousands. Yeah, she's like probably the least red-haired, red-haired person in New York City in 1916. And they come yeah. to her. So she must have been like last resort. And then every person that sounds like Colin Farrell is now dead. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> uh, so awesome. So, so Russell Crowe is about to uh, spill her virginal blood. Uh, it gives a little, uh, little monologue about that. Yeah. And uh, Colin Farrell rides up on his dog horse and, uh, and grabs And surprises Shady. him? Yeah. Like, uh, out of all the animals that exist, the least stealth is probably horse. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he doesn't even come in from behind, really, but he, like, just goes clopping at full speed down the street and swoops this girl up and saves her. At no point does Russell Crowe even look over at, like, the just coconuts on clopping down cobbled street sound that's just barreling towards him. Right, it's fucking cobblestones. Right, I didn't even think about that. Dope. Uh, and then they, like, fly onto what I assume is the Hudson River frozen yeah. solid. Yeah. Is that a thing that happens? So, no. But I read only a couple things about how this movie is different from and the same from the book. And I guess in the book, the magical realism kind of envelops the whole city. And so there's like oh. this. Apparently, it's a winter's tale because the the Hudson River just freezes over for miles, and there's this thick fog that like in, uh. that uh like exists on the periphery of all of Manhattan, so no one can see past, no one can see the horizon, and there's just kind of this like pervasive winter that's happening. But that's not in this movie, so it's right, just like they a... kind of just picked and decided to pick that would and take choose. a second to explain. Then it would make uh, it all more magical. Like, people kind of live in this magical haze, and things can just happen to you, and it's, like, accepted. You know? Right. But it's That's, not. It's, it's just regular New York. So so they, like, they fly on the horse, on the dog horse with angel wings yeah. to her, like, family estate. And then Colin Farrell sits down with William Hurt and has the silliest conversation I, love it. I have ever seen I on screen. I wrote it down. <laughs> did you write it down uh, word I for word down, like not Please. yeah parts of it word for word um yeah so like this stranger just shows up at their family estate and they're clearly completely loaded and he's clearly kind of a criminal or at least someone of really low stature and mm-hmm. uh the father understandably there's going to be a vetting process because his daughter's dying and uh virginal teenage a young adult 21, daughter. 21. Oh, 21, 21, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he has this conversation with Colin Farrell. The writing in this movie is so great. It's, it's so great. It's like all unnecessary. Not a single bit of it's needed. First thing that happens before they even speak is that out of nowhere, the, uh, what's her face, um, Lady Sybil says, my father... Sorry, yeah, she <laughs> yeah, mean says, my father says nothing happens here that isn't supposed to, which is super ominous, and oh. I am really not okay with the <laughs> choices. Some real house on Haunted Hill shit. Yeah. yeah. What's your dad up to? Girl, things aren't cool. Like, check in on him. He's also a lunatic, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. He's uh. full big time crazy, and you get a taste when he's just sitting opposite Colin Farrell and says, do you take wine with your meals? Sometimes. 
We'll have wine tonight. Okay. Would claret, would claret be okay, right with you? Anything, but don't you pronounce it claret? No. Claret. You pronounce the T, just as in fillet. Uh, fillet. always thought it was fillet. No, it's fillet. Just as in wallet. You don't say wallet, do you? And now we're just in, like... It's like fucking uh, Abbott and Costello. It's just like... so stupid. And then they kind of like digress and then he asks his intentions and, and he tells him his intentions and he doesn't lie. He's like, I'm a criminal, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then he goes on and on about how he's in love with her daughter. And then he says, would it be so wrong if I wanted to just steal just one life? And he's like, like, not what that means, Colin Farrell. <laughs> that means kill a person. I've seen The Wire. Yeah. And like earlier in the movie, Colin Farrell said something like, can you love a person so much that you can save them and just steal, like steal their life, like steal their life, I guess, from the clutches of like death. But he always says to this guy, this lady's uh, father is that he'd like to steal one life. Yeah. And that's fine. And you know who's not troubled by that at all? William Hurt. William fucking Hurt. Who has when an I, American accent and his daughter does not. Right? Uh, they at least try to kind of hand wave that yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, what? I wish I could have been in a movie theater by the screen looking at the audience who came to see this magical movie. Watch them squint as the claret fill it while a conversation <laughs> happens it's like, like you're what you just saw someone arrive on a frozen river on a, on a pegasus horse. like magic is everywhere the movie is really taking off now here we go and then it just pumps the brakes and everything comes to a screeching halt so that they can have this very very fun dumb i mean boring and dumb conversation about either either william Hurt is an idiot or this is a very silly power trip, but either way you slice it, this scene is insane. It's an insane it person's dialogue. It's bananas. Uh, so then you get you get two another two pretty great. I'm gonna say three pretty great crazy back to back scenes. Yeah. So Colin Farrell's walking with Shebeen in the forest, <laughs> and Shebeen is walking oh, yeah. barefoot through the snow, uh, and she's so hot the snow is melting under her bare feet. Yeah. And Colin Farrell teaches her to say words while she breathes out to slow down her heart, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, and so she says the names of constellations as she breathes out. And the ground refreezes underneath her feet. Yes. So not only yep. does he cool down through this like mild word game, yeah. cool down her body to regular body temperature, yep. he cools it to sub-zero. <laughs> the ground re-freezes under her bare feet. <clears throat> or he just removes any conductivity from her feet. <laughs> also possible. Also possible. And it's just yeah. that cold out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she tacitly accepts all the magic. Like, that's just fine. And also, that's not how heart rates and temperatures work. But we're just going to no. breeze right past the science. Because no. no. the thing about the whole consumption story is, like, I get that it's, like, a very, like, romantic, tragic, like, mm-hmm. oh, like, let's put a name to this disease so that people feel more moved by it. They're in Magic Goo Goo Lala Town. So, like, they could have just said, it's this mysterious fever, and we don't right. know what the cure is, but the doctors say she's dying. And then anything can happen. And anything can And she can be go. contagious, not contagious, setting things on fire with her feet. It doesn't matter. She could do whatever she wants in that world. 
It is tuberculosis is a disease of the lungs. Yes. She does not cough but a once. Never a cough. Nary a cough. I I mean, I watched Tombstone a lot as a kid. I know what dying of tuberculosis looks like, and it's not whatever is happening to Shebeen. You're right. They should have named this just like it could have magic, just magicitis. Yeah, mystery like, fever. Like it could have been anything, and instead they gave it like the most deadly and known about disease almost in American history. Yeah. So that's she has cool. an inflammation of the soul. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Right, we'll move on. Her vapors are violent and ill-tempered. It's. Could have been anything. They made it that. Yeah, so the, the ground definitely refreezes. I'll give this scene props, though. It has, like, it's one of the prettiest scenes in this movie. Yeah. The movie yeah, doesn't, the like... the art direction's all right. Yeah, like, the art direction's, like, one of the only saving graces in this thing as far as it being legitimately good in the ways that it's supposed to be and not in the ways that I enjoyed it to be. But, um, yeah, I mean, the art direction's pretty. It's, like, this, like, foresty, wintry land that i think they probably should have kept the tone of for the rest of the movie because it's called a winter's tale uh-huh but you really get like one scene in the woods you get, yeah you get a couple wintry scenes but it's mostly just about how cold she needs to be yes and then who and then <laughs> we meet the best character <laughs> so uh <laughs> russell crowe Needing to chase down Colin Farrell. Yeah. Goes to meet his boss. Yeah. Who is Lucifer. Yeah. The devil. How did... Russell Crowe calls Lou, who is played by the actor William Smith. Yeah. Will Smith, Big Willie, the Fresh Prince himself, wearing a Jimi Hendrix t-shirt under a large coat. Yep. With, like, two big hoop earrings. Like... And a modern haircut, I, like a modern fade, and a beard fade. It's, like, I get he's, like, sort of supposed to be timeless at all times. They do this little monologue. But, like, why a Jimi Hendrix shirt? What message are you sending? Jimi Hendrix's yeah. music was, like, not, de- I mean, That's fucking, like, Ozzy. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but Jimi yeah. was just, like, a sweet man. Who, he's just he's a... From, he's from Seattle. He's playing his guitar. He's just a guy. He's just a guy who wails on his axe. Yeah. Do you think Will Smith just showed up in a Jimi Hendrix shirt and they're, like, so <laughs> coked out making this movie? You're like, sure, great, oh go for it. Yeah, the, the decision to have him dress like he's dressed, like, you know create like an out of time look by having him just look like he wandered in off the universal set and said yeah i have a spare three and a half hours what you got because that's really what this reads like it reads like someone phoned in a favor in real time and they were like fuck 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 we only have him if we get him right now someone grab get yourself on a little golf cart and go get him he's right there because yeah it's all right also they introduce this scene because he like knocks on a warehouse door and a little old man with a sewn together mouth oh, and answers right. the door, which is already right. bananas. So good. And then he he's speaking out of the darkness. You don't know it's William Smith yet. Um, but he's got like a like a low beastly he sounds like the devil in the South Park movie. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's got a real Satan in South Park movie voice, and then it goes away once he turns the lights on, but then it comes back when he gets real mad. Yeah, he does this monologue about how it's, like, always now for him. Yeah. Which doesn't matter or mean anything. And then he 
yells and his teeth turn to daggers for just a second. It's the worst. It looks like 90s CGI. His mouth opens up real big and then he's got a a billion tiny little dagger teeth. And uh, I mean, it's fantastic. I've watched it six times. And then the scene's over. Uh, oh, and did he, we talk about why he was talking to Lucifer? Like oh, the, right. Russell Crowe says, thing. like, I want to go kill Colin Farrell. and Because uh, he's the demon of the five boroughs. Uh-huh. And he needs to extend his he's efforts permission. beyond his jurisdiction. <laughs> and, and Will Smith's like, no, I'm not going to let you do that. You're too, like, this is too personal for you, demon. Uh, find somebody else to do it. So he gets the angel Gabriel, I guess. Oh, who's okay. Who's become a person to and like owes russell crowe a favor to go and poison uh she bean right to pose as a like a cater waiter and then go cater waiter. And go and like poison he's like a cater waiter he's wearing his gaiters he'll <laughs> yeah. do this later <laughs> um yeah oh man that scene's so good too because will smith can be a good actor but in this movie he did not try to do that at all and instead it's just him like screaming they distorted his voice in post and uh it's just it's this endless dialogue about about you don't understand i've watched the my cape has burned as i watched the people bleed and it just goes on and on and on uh i can't understand a fucking thing that they're talking about yeah yeah it's like it feels like fan service for a product that has no fans. Yeah. Uh, it's like unbelievable how off the rocker this movie is. It assumes that we can, A, understand what Russell Crowe is saying ever. Yeah. Two, <laughs> understand that the, all the ancient and demon rules that they keep just quoting kind of under their breath. It's all like, mm-hmm. like... They introduce new rules all the time. All too. the time. And at a very low, like... Low, difficult to understand decibels and like cadence. It's just hard to mm-hmm. hard to hear them because they're not making themselves heard. And then, yeah, I mean, and they're introducing new demon rules up to the end of the movie. Yes, like you get a new demon rule at like fifteen minutes to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, and I think that's pretty much all I got. Oh, and the fact that you're getting on board with uh, with horse within the first five minutes of the movie, so you really know what you're in for. But it's oh yeah, it's the best. Um, and then we get another Buck Wild scene, like one after the other. The hits keep coming in this movie because Colin oh, Fer- yeah. we're back with Colin Farrell. He comes home and she it's not even she beans leaving. She beans already gone. And her little daughter, her little five year old daughter is being like ushered out or, uh, or sister, sister, right? Oh, sister, sister, sister. Yeah, sister yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, sister. Yeah. Uh, my bad. Uh, I was she, confused she, in the beginning, but she's got yeah, that V card. Like, five or eight year old sister. Uh, right, of course not her daughter. <laughs> and uh, because the house is about to explode, because there's a problem oh yeah, with, <laughs> the problem with the boiler, uh, or the furnace. And so Colin Farrell goes down uh, to the furnace, and William Hurt's like, "Get out of here!" And also, you, the furnace guy, you get out of here. I'm going down with the ship. And Colin Farrell's like, "What? Why?" <laughs> <laughs> William Hurt's like, well, my mom, my, no, my mom, my wife built this house. She chose the furniture. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> she chose every window dressing. I'm not leaving. <laughs> William Hurt, you have two daughters. Yeah. One of them is very small and their mother's dead. You will orphan your tiny daughter because your wife picked the furniture in this house? What is wrong with you? It's so good. He's a legitimate insane person. Also, it's absolutely nuts. 
aside from the furnace, like he's super big time deserved to have his house robbed and deserves every bad thing that could happen to him because he just assumes like, all right, guy who's a thief off the street. I've known you for 90 seconds. Oh, you're also, your intentions with my daughter are to, what does he say? I desire your daughter. And he's like, that's fine. <laughs> he just, he does, Don't fuck her though. Don't yeah, fuck her though. Yeah. Welcomes in with open arms, a guy who openly admits to just being a dirtbag thief. Mm-hmm. and has already tried to rob him. And he's just like, yep, sign her on up. She's gonna die. Also, I have planned to die with this house and abandon yeah. my consumptive daughter and my small five-year-old other daughter. It's the best. It's it's so wild. Uh, and then, like, Colin Farrell fixes the furnace, and the house burps, uh, and that's, like, how the <laughs> furnace gets fixed. Yeah, it just sends plumes uh, of smoke out the top and everything's fine again. Colin Farrell is this thing he keeps saying throughout the movie is that he's not a mechanic, but machines just make sense to him. And so he's just able to, even though that's not his trade, just kind of get in there and rustle around and figure it out on the spot. He's a real Mary Sue. Like, he can, he he's, he's able to do everything. Yeah. Uh, so, so then, like, Russell Crowe, acquires Angel Gabriel to, like, go and poison uh, Shebeen, and they go to a ballroom dance. She'd initially said that her father won't let her dance because this is Footloose, and also yeah. because she'll <laughs> she'll die if she dances. Too She's excited. like, no. Too I'm, excited. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go dance. So Colin Farrell and Shebeen go and dance. And I wrote down here... Uh, why do movies think that anybody wants to watch silent ballroom dancing? Because <laughs> this occurs in like a quarter of movies. And I've never known, like, is there focus grouping done that suggests that we want five minutes of this? I think people Cause... like it. I think people like it. It's that Jane Austen vibe of like, you're saying it all with your eyes. I do not care for this particular it's... form of cinema, but I do believe people like it because there's a lot people... of just... A lot of what isn't said that says the most. Either either people like it or people like like movies like filming it. Like it's in so many movies. Unnecessary in this one. But whatever. It's very pretty. This is the other scene I wrote down that I thought was like very like it tried to do what it tried to do and it actually did a good job. It's like ornate and beautiful and the costumes and set design are great. Good job movie. You did a couple things right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so then... Okay, right before that. Sorry, right before that, uh, we skipped something. The five-year-old okay. sister. Oh, right. Tell, she introduces Colin him to Farrell, the princess bed. Yeah, takes Colin Farrell to this like Sleeping Beauty bed in uh, their in their greenhouse or something. Yeah, yeah. it's like once my sister dies, you have to kiss her here and bring her back to life. Yeah. Great. Now you know that happened. Yeah. Uh, which says, and now you can put me to bed. And she like gets her arms up and he carries her to bed, which is mm-hmm. cute. Also, uh, William Hurt is trusting this random dude with his right, little this, little daughter. That was the main reason daughter. I got so concerned. Like she's just, he's just some guy. He's some guy who thieves. He just told you that, and he just met you, and now you're letting your little teeny tiny five year old daughter just run around and get tucked in and get kissed on the head by this dude. This is a time before children were special. To be fair. Hmm. Uh but rich children, didn't rich children were always kind of special, though. That's true. That's true. That's I don't true. Know. Uh, although William Hurt clearly doesn't feel that connected. I don't think uh, William Hurt's he feels very much more connected to the furniture. To reality. Yeah, I think he's just kind of out there, <laughs> mispronouncing uh, and or correctly pronouncing various words. 
I want him to start so, saying Wale. I want him to learn Wale. to say Filet and Claret so correctly, and then by extension to start just saying Wale. <laughs> yeah, it it definitely is pronounced Claret, not pronounced Fillet. Is pronounced Wallet. It's all very weird. It's awesome. Uh, so after the dance, Colin Farrell and Lady Sybil go and do sex to each other, and Colin Farrell has already been warned that dancing could kill her. Excite her. It doesn't. It doesn't, but but then the sex definitely does does murder her. Yeah, he uh, fucks her to death, big time, big time. He fucks her to, he fucks her to death. Uh, Slowly so no and in the missionary position for several minutes. <laughs> he, that is the way that she goes. <laughs> I'm glad she enjoyed it because he definitely yeah. just fucked her to death. Yeah, and then he carries her naked post-coital body down to the, like, the Sleeping Beauty bed kisses her and she still dies and that's supposed to be a sad scene but all i could think about is what happens right after yeah oh my god like (laughs) how does colin farrell explain he's got a lot of this to william hurt like we're both naked your daughter's dead Dead. clearly just had sex naked there was one rule in this house and it was you can't go up on the roof into my daughter's tent and then he does just it don't fuck and the daughter she to like death. immediately dies the second he breaks the rule <laughs> <laughs> like how on earth is this whole family not in lockdown red alert mode like uh, a murder has occurred and now you are going to jail we've had a death fucking all the only thing they punish him with is that he has to stand kind of far away during the funeral yeah uh, yeah, man. Oh, it's God. wild. It's he fucks her to death. He fucks and her right to Hurt death. Doesn't do anything. He's like the most powerful man in winter. Yeah, and like the writing is so stilted and bad. Like at the beginning, like she like takes her clothes off, romantic moment. She's like, if you don't love me right now, no one ever will. And then he just stares at her and goes, "Well, then that's what I will do." And then that, <laughs> and then that's pretty much how the sex goes. And then she's not alive anymore. <laughs> Yep. Uh, so that's cool. And then she's in the ground, lickety split. Um, the little girl brings him some flowers and he tucks them away for later. Uh, okay, so now now Russell Crowe, he's back in like the city limits of New York. So now Russell mm-hmm. Crowe's after him. Right there. And did you write down the Russell Crowe monologue? Because I wrote down the Russell Crowe no, monologue. No, I didn't. <laughs> I uh, so Russell Crowe confronts uh, confronts Colin Farrell and says, uh, you couldn't save her, your beloved redheaded girl. Was she going to be somebody important? The president? The pope? The, the great-grandmother? The, the, first the first man on Ma- Mars? Or was it something simpler? That she was capable of great love? The kind of love that marks the, makes the world all warm and light and gives the others hope? The kind of love that tilts the scales? Well, it doesn't matter. She's dead. Which is just... So bad. I'm pretty proud of him for being able to guess in 1916 that a person could even land on any of those angels in the sky. Because to his right. to his mind, aren't they all angels in the sky? And like Mars exists. Was she, was she the president? Women can't vote yet. Was she the Pope? Russell. 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 It felt you, deeply like an ad lib. 
Uh-huh. Like, it felt very deeply like they let him just go on and he got really passionate and excited and he's Russell Crowe and had the most clout on set and they just like mm-hmm. let it happen. He had a statue. He can do what he wants. Yep. Uh, and then Colin Farrell runs away on the horse and then there's a scene on the bridge with just some stuff I didn't love, like a, the horse struggling in a net. Yeah, sad. Uh, some things I liked, which was Colin Farrell fighting off dozens of men with a lance and the Lit- power of horse. Everybody had swords. Literally all of those boys had swords. They're just big, big and boys with swords. And he fought them off with basically like a, a piece of wood. A large stick. But it culminates in maybe the best part of the movie. <laughs> it's such a funny way to kill someone. <laughs> Russell Crowe headbutts Colin Farrell up and down, beats him like borderline to death. With just like eight headbutts yeah. from different angles. Why? What decision is that? So many times. It's just that ever there's just so many weapons present in that scene and so many men. And like I get it. The fight's his fight. The men let him do the official honors of sending uh Colin Farrell to shuffle off his mortal coil, but he fucking does it with a million headbutts to the body and head, and it's, oh, it's so funny. Like, like oh, his hands so had been tied behind his back and he had to force his way through. Russell, you have hands. He has hands uh, and knives and swords great. and guns. He has all the things great. that a it boy could want. top notch. Everybody should watch just that scene of Russell Crowe <clears throat> headbutting Colin Farrell to death. Yeah, he does. Uh, right off the bridge. Well, almost Right there. off the Brooklyn Bridge. It's right off the bridge. And then, like, Colin Farrell wanders out some, like, 80 years later, uh, perfectly preserved. 100 years later. Not quite, because time passes further. He wanders out, and it's, like, the 50s or 60s. Oh. Because there isn't isn't a big skyline yet. Oh, 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 yeah, okay. Gotcha. Not Jennifer Uh, Connelly times, but there's the middle part. Not Jennifer Connelly times. Yeah. Right. He's just not aging. But like yeah. he was in the he was in the river for the river, which is now suddenly not frozen, by yeah. the way. Uh, which is, I'll say, weird, because yeah. it's the same river that's always frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fine, whatever. Parts of it. He not wanders frozen. out. Wanders out. Uh, and wanders into a graveyard. Uh, and did you see the name of the the graveyard? Uh, the, the gravestone right next to him as he's wa- standing in the graveyard. No. It is Arnold Angel and Betty Angel. Which is what? just A, Angel, and B, Angel. Which is like, a, it's a little on the nose for this Angel movie. That's so silly. This is like a written by a grandma. Grandma did the props design. It's got a real seven people you meet in heaven. That's so uh, funny. And then he's like, time passes, you see the skyline rise. And now he's just cosplaying as Keanu Reeves. Like going full pastels on the plaza. Dry, drawing yeah. Lady Sybil in Central Park. Yeah, so like you're given this like mini montage to understand that essentially like about a hundred years have passed and the entire time he's been wandering uh with amnesia through the streets of new york obsessively drawing the back of a red-haired woman's head just over right just the same thing that russell crowe draws in blood yeah just hanging out in central park but he independently drew it previously yeah um i have to imagine he's thieving for money in order to survive in this great big world new york city is he has he has a walk-up apartment in Manhattan. Yeah, so, like, he must just still be thieving, right? Because... How? 
how do you thieve that well that you can afford a walk-up apartment in lower Manhattan? Maybe he thieved like, shares of Apple back when it was first a <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's got some like insider trading tips. <laughs> that's funny. I don't uh, know, man. He's really living it up. But yeah, he's like just wa- wandering around in a trench coat. And then he's wandering through a, like a street in Central Park and happens upon this little girl who runs up and is like being all cute and says something about the stars to him and about how stars are, I forget. She like she just knows? starts talking Whatever. about the stars. And, um, and then Jennifer Connelly runs up. Oh, but before that happens, there's like a guy who we've seen earlier in the movie who like flips a coin and says like this is your this is your shot or this is your sign and like does some kind of little magical thing and then like the little girl wanders up to him says says little cute little girl shit Jennifer Connelly comes over and says hello takes her daughter away and um at that moment Colin Farrell like remembers who he is almost like a bit of it she sparks it yeah so then she sparks his memory just enough that a very funny sequence of events get to happen where he goes back to Grand Central Station into like this attic space that's like above Grand Central Station where he's got all these hidden things and he finds a hidden box that's like dusty. Nobody's cleared out for a hundred years. Yeah, it's just been there for a hundred years. It's Grand Central Station? Yeah. And then he he finds like the little plaque that went to the boat that he definitely almost died on. And Mm -hmm. then like, is it a matchbook or a little like a little chocolate? I forget what it is. It's something that says the name of the house that's out on the lake. The one where he uh, he fucked his old girlfriend to death. And it has a name and it's like the something house, the caraway house. And Mm -hmm. so he makes it his mission. But like before he fully realizes what's going on he he sees these objects and something inside him makes him walk over to a dusty mirror look himself dead in the eye and then just write peter lake question mark on the mirror (laughs) it's just it's just his name it's so weird and funny and bad and at that uh, moment, oh, and that sets off like a red alert in Russell Crowe's mind because now that he knows that he's Peter Lake, Russell Crowe also knows that he's Peter Lake, and now they're like back at it. They're connected somehow. Yes. Uh, so then Colin Farrell goes to, I guess, like track down the the thing on the tag, and it's uh, it's a theater that like makes him it has a picture or like the name of William Hurt, and so he goes to the library, uh, and he's like trying to get into the library uh, and they won't let him and Jennifer Connelly comes up and introduces herself to Colin Farrell asks do I know you from somewhere and Colin Farrell to this stranger says I've had no memory for as long as I can remember best line in the movie it's good. so glad it's in the trailer it's so yeah. dumb uh, maybe there was a blow on the head though can't find a scar the whole world has seemed like a deep fog but that's just beginning to lift although not fast enough for my liking I've become convinced if I can just learn what this coheres is, it may help jog my memory. Now they're telling me I need to wait two weeks with two forms of ID I don't have. Although I'm sitting here thinking I could just wait till everybody goes home. One, he just met this woman. 
Yeah. It's a lot of information. <laughs> Two, the clerk is still sitting right there. <laughs> it's like he turned away, said, I'm going to rob this place. And for like his memory can't be that bad that he forgot he was talking to the like, fucking desk clerk. Yeah, but to his credit, he tends to announce that he's a thief to people and there are no consequences. People if are William, so cool with it. William Hurt's taught us anything. It's that you can just say, "Hi, I'm here to basically rob your house, and then I'm also here to bang your daughter," and it's fine. <laughs> to, perhaps to death. Uh, perhaps to death. So then they go and watch. Look at the microfiche, and <sighs> this microfiche appears to just be a bunch of glamour shots of she being and Colin Farrell taken outdoors, uh, which was never. De- Never, never like a thing. they they never it would have been so easy they never put it in the movie that there's ever a camera present but now there's all this photographic evidence of the one day that all of these humans existed in the same room it's the best. And, and then he's then jennifer Collins like oh are you this guy in the microfiche and he's like yeah i guess uh and he's like well but everybody's dead jennifer Connelly's like they're not all dead and they go up to the top floor of the newspaper that jennifer Connolly works for and this old, old woman comes out with these, like, two, what I, I mean, they're sort of very dark black men. I sort of assume they're supposed to be African men. Says, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Yeah. I'm glad we could come to an understanding. So this woman's <laughs> the editor-in-chief of a newspaper. Why was an ambassador meeting with the editor-in-chief of this newspaper? And what was the understanding? I don't think that's how newspapers work. I don't think so either. <laughs> Like, what's what's the thing that they needed to understand from each other? Yeah. I don't, I don't, under, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Know. Yeah. I think that this movie approaches all manner of jobs and industry. <laughs> doesn't know how, how job works. The way that, like, a little kid does, where you just, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to need some buzzwords to fill in my gaps of knowledge. What is crime? Okay. Uh, crime is poison water supply. Arson? Bribery, celebrities, charity. I don't know what that steal, word really steal, means. I'm too steal little. toys. I'm just going to write it's it all down. <laughs> just write it all. Stealing toys. Stealing toys. Uh, who would a someone important be meeting with? Let's see. Chief. Chief of a newspaper. Ambassadors. The king? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, like uh, one of my <laughs> friends is a three-year-old. Uh, so they ask the three-year-old a lot of questions. She's like, what are you doing? Uh, I'm just exploring. What are you exploring? Ah, uh, the moon. Yeah. It really does feel yeah. like that. It does, it the does. The entire movie. Yeah, so this uh, very, very deeply elderly woman is meeting with ambassadors from some foreign country to to who knows what. Um, and we're also just glazing over the fact that Jennifer Connelly looks at the person in the microfiche and looks at Colin Farrell and then just, oh, is that is this you? Yeah, well, wow. you wow. you must be this perfectly preserved 150-year-old man. Oh, wow. Cool. Huh. Yep. Awesome. Oh. Why not? Interesting. Uh, <laughs> he so does He does I, cut his hair the same way also. Once he figures mm-hmm. out that he's Peter Lake, he gets all <laughs> right. his old-timey peakers, pe- peaky blinders haircut and his old old clothes back. And he's just he looks identical to the man in that photo, which is... Probably why yeah. she assumes it's not an older relative of his that shares the same like- likeness. It's well, just no, him. Here's great. It's not even what she says. First, she looks at it. She looks at him and she goes, is that your dad? This picture is from 1916. <laughs> That's dumber than assuming it's him. <laughs> 
I'm, she's I'm, a professional journalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> he had kids kind of later in life. <laughs> Pipes are still working. <laughs> My octogenarian no. father had a child. <laughs> I am that child. Oh my god! Amazing. Uh, um, yeah. I have so a then, to make though, uh, about so he meets the old lady, and he's like, "Is that little Willa, uh, who's named little girl?" And it is, and they hug. And that scene fucking got me, and I was so mad. Oh, like yeah. Like I got a little, I got a little misty in that. This was... movie's so stupid; it shouldn't be affecting. But that. I know. That got me too. And she, because she she does the thing that everyone does in this movie where she immediately assumes the craziest, most unrealistic option (laughs) and then just fucking rolls with it. She sees Mm -hmm. him and there's like a beat and then she goes, Peter Lake, very decisively. And then they (laughs) hug and the music swells. And yeah, I mean, totally got me too. Like this movie is making me have a feeling. Huh. Good job, movie. Yeah, it. It shouldn't. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't be. Uh, yeah, and then she so, takes him back to. We have to talk about the fact that a hundred years have passed. So she's now a hundred and five, mm-hmm, actively mm-hmm. serving as the editor in chief of a newspaper, interacting with ambassadors, and really running the place. Looking great for a hundred. Science Looking is just a dynamite. miracle. That's the yeah. miracle. <laughs> that is the miracle. The miracle uh, is that she outlives this man. Like, by a long shot. I feel like she's not going to die. Yeah, no, she lives forever. She lives uh, forever. So, Russell Crowe's then like, oh, he's back, so I've got to go kill him now for good. Yeah. And he meets again with Will Smith. Will Smith's like, cool, but you know, that means that you have to also be able to die for good, because that's the rules that I just made up. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe's like, Natch, do it. Let's do it. I yeah. want to kill this guy so bad. I'm willing <laughs> to die. Yep. Uh and so, uh, Will Smith's like, cool, granted, you get to die or kill. Which is like, he's killed so many people already. Yeah. When did the rule change that he needs to become mortal to kill somebody? Like, I don't. Is it I really because, don't well, I think it's because this particular person is immortal. So to, like, flip the switch on that, he's got to, like, sacrifice his own immortality. It doesn't make sense, but that's... Is Colin Farrell immortal, or did he just get, like, preserved for a while? I guess he's immortal. I mean, I he's, he he's, be it's been 100 years, and he's not aging, yeah, so it appears that true. he's immortal. So that's, I think, the logic of the movie at okay. least assumes that we understand that. But it also okay. assumes that we know how the miracle thing works, and miracle transfers, which are, I guess, are a thing, and I don't really know. Right. And then, like, after he grants Russell Crowe his mortality, uh, Russell Crowe, like feels the back of his neck like that's really the thing that shows that he's mortal like maybe he has neck hair now that didn't before like it's it's all very strange oh is it to show that he doesn't have those three like things he's got he have three things before? so like russell crowe for the whole movie has these three shaved lines into his haircut he's got like a like a side shave that has these it's like looks like oh. a three little lines and I didn't it's notice like, it right behind his ear and they're pretty big it looks like someone you know like looks like one of those little 80s side shaves but he doesn't have it once he becomes human and i don't know why that's the delineation when you're human you don't get a sick fade sure all right why not I don't know. why not Great. <laughs> uh um, so uh so russell 
so uh, Russell Crowe is after Colin Farrell. He's now mortal. And Colin Farrell, like, goes to Jennifer Connelly's house. And uh, we learn, I guess we sort of already know this, but we learn more in depth that Jennifer Connelly's daughter is dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And Colin Farrell, like, sees, she, like, leans over in the window and, like, it's clearly the thing that Russell Crowe drew in blood and Colin Farrell's been drawing is, like, this little girl. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, and then Colin Farrell's like, oh, shit, it's this little girl. We gotta go. And Jennifer Connelly's like, cool, great. Where are we going? To the roof? Awesome. Uh, so they go to the roof, and there's the fucking white horse. And, uh, and Meanwhile, they get this on the... girl has passed out. The little the girl is passed out. very sick, and I feel... I want to talk about this. Yeah. I want to talk about this, because they go on a flying horseback ride through Manhattan, and they let the little girl sleep through the flying horseback ride through manhattan this is like the most make-a-wish foundation thing that could possibly happen they don't know that she's gonna live like more than a couple hours longer they let her sleep through the flying horseback ride through manhattan yeah uh is she just asleep or is she unconscious like, Either way, like, you can wake her up. Yeah, probably. I guess so. Uh, yeah. She, well, okay, so first she has a seizure, and then she is passed out. So it's, like, assumed that something is very, very wrong. And I feel bad. Kid actors do their best. But having a kid actor do an on-screen seizure is, in this case, hilarious to watch. <laughs> it sucks to be sucks to be watching a kid doing their absolute darndest and just be, like, tickled. Uh, by Cancer Kid, but it's yeah. very, very funny. Very funny to see on screen. Sorry. Uh, so Russell Crowe and all of his hench goons, uh, his crow knees, roll up on cars. And uh, Colin Farrell is like, horse, you know what to do. And the horse flies up and smashes down into the ice, which is refrozen. Uh and it cracks the river ice, and literally every henchman falls in and dies. Instantly sinks so, to the bottom. So good. Instantly sinks to the bottom. None of them try to get away from it. They're yeah. all just like, cool, this is how I go? Yeah. Awesome. My Don't bones are made of water. iron. I guess I sink now. I guess uh, I shouldn't have driven my BMW onto ice <laughs> on the Hudson River. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, yeah, fuck. Uh, oh god, but so, so then then it's then it's yeah. battle time and we're mm-hmm. watching two grown men duke it out uh, in one of the most boring fight sequences ever. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh, yeah. Jennifer Connelly, who's got a passed out cancer kid who just had a seizure, is just sitting in the freezing fucking cold just watching these two men punch each other endlessly. Like dude, you just watched a magical horse murder like 20 guys and you don't have any instinct to like leave or protect your kid right. you're just like oh, i sure do hope <laughs> these boys the figure it out <laughs> uh so colin farrell surprise wins he stabs russell crowe in the throat who bleeds a little bit and then turns into snow so sure, good so sure, good why not yeah all right uh and then the little girl's dead and uh they carry the little girl to the like the princess the bed sleeping in the greenhouse beauty area, yeah the princess bed uh, and Colin Farrell kisses her, and she comes back to life, and cool. Yeah. Uh, and 
And that's basically the movie. Well, there's a... Well, so he carries yeah, her to please, the princess bed. There's a couple things bed. about it. The thing about the princess bed is it's already an insane thing, but we're living in insane times, and this woman has already trusted all of her child's welfare to a strange man with absolutely no identity background who's flying mm-hmm. around through the city and almost getting her child murdered by gangsters, which is mm-hmm. very much happening. Yes. He led, like a couple dozen criminals to her sick cancer daughter's house. So that's cool. Yes. But she's she's already entrusted uh, her child's life in his hands. He leads her to the princess bed, and she's just thrown at the Hail Mary, like maybe this is going to work. And then he's just, he knows what he has to do is kiss her if he's following his own rules. But instead he monologues for like a while about how much he hopes it's going to work and how great it's going to be if it works and it might work and how <laughs> it's, it's really just going to be, it's going to, it's going to work. And it's because a little girl once said it would work. And he just talks about love for a little while. Meanwhile, the kid is dying. <laughs> dead. Kid's dead. Oh yeah. Big time dead. Uh, and then he kisses her on the head and she comes back to life and it's like, dude. It's, and so then we're, we get the like, a minute and a half of falling action, which is all set to voiceover by Shebeen. Yeah. And Shebeen asks the question of why did so many lives have to come together to save one little girl? Which is like a pretty fair, fair. question. Totally fair. And then her answer is like, maybe that happens to everybody and you just don't notice it. Like, she mean, yeah. and then it says, she mean, no, <laughs> she mean, no, no, that's not how maybe, it happens. No life is more important than any other life. And I think that maybe the universe is always constantly bending over backwards to create these miracles for all of us every day behind the scenes. And we don't even know. And it's just like that for a while. And you're like, well, but what about people who do die? Right. Uh-oh. The, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> that's, but it's just like. But Why worked. even ask the question? Why even ask the question if you're not going to answer the question? <laughs> yeah. The answer is that everyone is the most special and that you don't know that your own personal story also has a bunch of angels working overtime behind the scenes to headbutt each other to death in order to save your life many times over. I love this movie. I love this movie. <laughs> oh, there's a mo- there's a moment. There's a moment before he flies off the rooftop to like not give this kid a wonderful horseback view of Manhattan, mm-hmm. um, where he just says, "You know what to do, horse." And Jennifer Connelly is like, "What?" And he goes, <laughs> "Let him do the math. Let him do the math. <laughs> the math of jumping off of ceiling." <laughs> This movie's got really funny dialogue, and if it wasn't so dumb 95% of the time, it would be really, like, fun and clever that he says stuff like, I don't, haven't remembered anything for longer than I could remember. And you'd be like, yeah, good one. Instead, you're yeah. like, you're a full idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, this movie is, like, every human being in this movie is so fucking stupid. It's, it's so stupid. And, like... Oh, and then he says, before he saves the daughter's life with his magical kisses, he says, I know I'm just a mechanic, but what are we if not machines? And he's already said so many different times throughout the movie that he is not a mechanic. He just, (laughs) that things just make sense. It's like, movie. Movie don't know. Movie Movie don't don't know. know. Tuberculosis contagious, tuberculosis not contagious. Movie cool. Movie cool with whatever. Movie just vibing. Movie making up as it goes along. Movie's vibing. Uh, Yeah. 
Akiva Goldman is vibing. The guy who made this movie and made many other movies, I guess, wrote A Beautiful Mind, I Am Legend, Angels and Demons, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh. Yeah. Oh, wait. Before we talk about the behind the scenes stuff, did we even Mm -hmm. talk about the fact that the movie ends and then under the credits is just a slideshow of different glowing sepia-toned images from the movie? I didn't watch that far. When the movie was done, I was done. What? No, it's great. So if you stay for the credits, the only reason I did is because I wanted to like put some names to like the things they did in this film. And then it's just, it's like these glowing bright sepia toned images of like Colin Farrell and she being like in romantic embraces while like directed by Akiva Goldman appears right above that. It's so rad. It's got a real 80s flavor unbelievable it is unbelievable much of this movie is delightfully unbelievable so this movie was 75 million dollars mm-hmm. you can it, really see it shine on screen it feels it feels it i mean yeah they, here's the thing this movie fucking goes for it and it I'm is so it. expensive looking and they got han zimmer it feels like a han zimmer joint yeah that's right that's yeah. right one of the other uh, things that worked well in this movie but like yeah dude it's like expensive looking i don't know how much they had to pay will smith for his like 10 minutes that he pumped into this movie but i'm i imagine it was a chunk of that budget oh (laughs) it only made 30 million back blah 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 something that we all could have expected um two very famous directors wanted to make this movie and didn't Hmm. when when the book came out in 1983 it was wildly successful like Topped oh, New this York feels Times. like 83, too. This feels like early 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this movie, this book is is pretty critically and, like, audience-rated, like, a wonderful book. It was, like, one of the best books of the 20th century, according to the New York Times. Like, everyone fucking loved it. So the year it came out... <laughs> Wait. One of the best books that... Okay, fine. I don't fine, know. Okay. I don't fucking know. They just put it on a list of, like, the most important, Amer- like, best American fiction of, like, the blah, blah, blah. So... Spielberg immediately buys the rights because he's like... Naturally. Yeah. And then he sleeps on it, doesn't make it, and then apparently Scorsese buys the rights. What? And, yeah, not a Scorsese joint, but there's a lot of mob activity, so maybe it would have been, like, magical mob movie. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Or I guess Scorsese Scorsese made Hugo, and that's got, like, Attic above the... That's true. You know? That's true. Magical vibes. So, anyway, Scorsese... Also doesn't make this movie because he deems the story completely unfilmable. And then... He, he is not wrong. And then our hero, Akiva Goldman, swoops in to deliver what is the, the most unfilmable, most majestic thing. One of my favorite things we've watched on this podcast so far. Yeah. This, a true fever dream of a film. This might have been the most truly enjoyable movie that we've watched it's not good it's bad it's, it's stupid so they're all idiots bad. but like it's so I, fun i would bad. recommend a person watch this movie like yeah. you're not signed up for quality but it's that is something about it yeah it's it's every single scene there's something to be like what the fuck every scene and it's not it doesn't have long boring parts it's it doesn't really like <laughs> 
It doesn't insult its audience. In fact, it assumes its audience knows everything about what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) So you will not feel condescended to. You will just be lost at sea. But that's fine. Just just let go and enjoy the fact that you're going to watch Will Smith unhinge his jaw at some point and that also Russell Crowe's entire face is going to open up a couple of different times. I I love it. I love I I loved it. Yeah, this movie is... Ah, it's lovely. So there's only a couple of fun plot keywords for this movie. There's like a lot of plot keywords, but there's actually 69 plot keywords. Nice. Nice. Uh, but most of them are what you'd expect, right? Like yeah. flying horse, poison. Yeah. But there's a couple that are good. Well, one, the very last plot keyword is outnumbered 20 to 1. And zero of one found this relevant, <laughs> which I enjoy. Because a lot, like a lot, a variety of them have like one of one, three of three found yeah, this relevant. Yeah. But for whatever reason, whoever's like out number twenty to one, absolutely not. Yeah. That's that doesn't occur in this movie. It does. Calla <laughs> uh, Lily Boutonniere is one of the plot keywords for this, which Weird. is a plot keyword shared primarily by various episodes of Two and a Half Men, various episodes <laughs> of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> Various episodes of Chuck. Other episodes of How I Met Your Mother. Uh, it's, Chuck. It is rare company. That's very sitcom-y energy, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah just like this movie. Uh, <laughs> Two on a Horse is also one of the plot keywords. Two on a Horse is the alternate title to this movie. <laughs> horse. And then this, the, the tagline is just Horse. 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 There's not... There's a decent amount of violence. I feel like there could be some good parent guides. There is. I do have... There's one other, which I didn't think it was going to be good. Make love is one of the uh, plot keywords. Sure. And I decided to see, like, what else are on plot keywords can make love. Because it's, like, kind of a weird set of... um, So... Antiquated. Yeah, there's only seven titles under Make Love. Okay. Uh, they include the John Travolta movie Phenomenon. Okay. They include Penthouse on the Wild Side. <laughs> they include <laughs> Darling in the Franks with two X's. Uh, <laughs> Say it again? They include a Darling in the Franks. In the Franks? In the Franks with two X's. Oh, God. Uh, and then two others. So One is Hmm. Porn, mainly porn, and then also John Ma- Travolta's phenomenon. Mainly porn, and then there's two others. The top two, okay, uh, is uh, Red Sonia, no clue, what starring that is. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, <laughs> uh, as fearless warrior Red Sonia, uh, and uh, oh, maybe he's Conan, and uh, Red Sonia is somebody else. He sort of looks like Conan. Okay, and the last one is a movie. This, this must be a. A t- like it's a Korean movie, so this must be a translation thing, because the name of the movie is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be better in the original Korean. It's got to be. It's got to be because Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is the silliest name. That's so good. That's really funny. That's a Kang Ho Song movie. That's like, like movie. That's like a real. That's a that's a big movie with the title that just is. I guess maybe it's just, just goofy title. Sad. Make love, make love to the Franks. 
Make love to Mr. Vengeance. Uh, is there a parent's guide to this one? Yeah, so the parents, like, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of parents guide. It's, it does get into the violence. We've also, like, said the violence almost exactly. So much headbutting, so uh, many swords and canes. I feel like. It talks about the headbutting, it talks about the virginal blood, it talks about the, uh, kicking the horse on the sides. To, yeah. Uh, there is, so one of the violence ones is this, this is a single bit. Uh-huh. A man kicks a horse in the sides, trying to make it move, but it does not. A young girl bumps into a man while walking, and she falls to the ground. Hi- parenthetical, she is okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, a, a steam furnace shakes and makes loud rumbling sounds while two men struggle to repair it. It blows smoke out through the chimneys and then works normally. Uh, Parent warning on the on the steam furnace, huh? Mm-hmm. Scary so, moment, scary beat. So under sex and nudity. Yes. It's mild. Six of 18 found this mild, which is interesting on its own. Uh, <laughs> the second one of these is a man and woman make love in a bed, comma, however no nudity is shown. True. Correct. The first war of this sex and nudity is all caps, WARNING! <laughs> <laughs> this is all caps, not Shakespeare's Winter's Tale. <laughs> uh, it had to go somewhere. Just file it under sex and nudity. Make sure the people yeah. know. Uh, it's what a film. It's you know. Yeah, this film. I yeah. I. It's like I think people should watch it. I think it's great. I think it'd be an interesting experiment to not tell someone you were going to watch a bad movie so that you could get the pure experience of watching oh. <laughs> them watch it and just just see how they react to all the things that they're about to see. I already knew what I was getting in for, but I think the first time I didn't and apparently just passed out from having the flu and didn't get to like... I was going into it blind, though, and so I'm a little sad that my actual fever brain didn't retain much of this movie right. because it must have been very confused before it shut down. Yeah, I think I think if you didn't tell somebody that you were about to watch a bad movie, they would watch this and be like, this is terrible, we have to turn it off pretty early. I yeah. think if you tell somebody that this is a bad movie, they'd be like, oh, well, this is marvelous. Because it is marvelous. It is very it's, it's, good. It's bad. It's stupid. There's nothing good about it, but it's so good. Yeah, it fails it's, so big. Yeah. It's my my favorite type of bad movies are the ones that fail big. Big budget, a real earnest try, star stacked, mm-hmm. like just get it all in there. Get all the all the money, all the people, all the stars, all the effort, and then just watch that do whatever it's gonna do. Yeah, this is like Battlefield Earth levels of enjoyable watch. Yeah. But without the need to shower after. Yeah, like, no part of it, it doesn't like... doesn't feel f- gross the I, way that Battlefield Earth feels gross. Yeah, it just felt... Like, you gotta turn your intellect off. But you do yes, have to kind of turn absolutely. your ears on so that you can catch all of the <laughs> weird goo-goo nonsense dialogue that's going on at like a... a in some cases, like kind of a breakneck speed, like the whole scene between Will Smith and Russell Crowe, nonsense. Nonsense. Can't, couldn't tell you what they were saying. Amazing. 
That's why you gotta go back. That's why you gotta rewatch these things. That's why you gotta get your friends to watch Winter's Tale with you, either by mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by, by letting, hook or by crook. You by, gotta do it by letting them know or not letting them know. <clears throat> I'm not a movie turner offer. I will see almost anything through, even when I don't like it. So this would have been a fun you? blind watch for me. I seek out almost exclusively things that are garbage, and occasionally <laughs> I pepper in a legitimate movie. So <laughs> that's yeah. who I am. Riding this train with you, I am watching way more bad movies than good movies lately. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, helps you appreciate the diamonds in the rough, you know? It does. It's only in the rough when you create a wasteland landscape for yourself in your own home (laughs) because you (laughs) refuse to watch anything that isn't garbage. Uh. Uh, With that said, uh, if you had to to pick a character in this fine (sighs) cinematic adventure... Just Damn. off the cuff. I mean, got any, got I th- any choices? I think you got to go Little Willa. Ah. Little Willa lives big. She and does. She lives forever, and she's really successful, and she lives in a nice house, yeah. and she meets with ambassadors and comes to understandings. I love her. I want to be her. Yeah, man. What about you? I mean, as much as I'm deeply concerned for every choice and thing that he's doing, I got to get inside the head of that Mr. William Hurt, though. Because because he's the most enigmatic character in this movie, and he deserves his own little side movie explaining why he's willing to go down with the shit because of drapery and why he doesn't understand how words are pronounced and just his general trusting of every human person that walks this earth. I feel like he's interesting. I think he's an insane person. He's a lunatic, and I want to get to know him better. William Hurt is a strong play, and I support it. Yeah. But how did they get him in this uh, movie? How did they get him in this movie? I mean, Russell Crowe and Jennifer Connelly kind of make sense because they had already worked with the director before. Right. Colin Farrell says yes to stuff. That's fine. <laughs> William Hurt's like a he's like an old school pro. Like, how did they get him? Yeah, he's an institution. Yeah. <laughs> money. That's a good question. Money, money. Uh, there was one review of this movie that suggested that everybody owed Akiva Goldsman a favor. Must uh, be, right? It's what it feels like. Oh, man. And also, this is like neither here nor there, but I guess no one was allowed to interact with Will Smith on set. (laughs) (laughs) No way. Literally, no one one got to meet him except Russell Crowe because he didn't interact with anyone and he only shot his scene and then that was it, which really like holds up my idea that he wandered in off of like set, off of like just a different soundstage and they were like, here he is. No one else can meet him because he's already gone. But legit, no one else. People complained. Like, even, like, Colin Farrell didn't get to, like, say hello. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, he, apparently, Russell Crowe uh, choreographed the fight scene that's oh. terrible at the end. That feels I know. right. It's so good. He and Colin Farrell got to choreograph it together. Why? Just boys being dudes. I love it. <laughs> it's very bad. It's very boring. <laughs> there's not a lot of not a lot of kicks or like acrobatic movements it's just a couple of guys just like dad punching each other just yeah they're barely moving oh and there's like a moment where russell crowe's shirt is off and he's playing with all his sparkly gems and i definitely would bet my next paycheck on the fact that they cgi'd in all of his muscles and abs 
Like, oh. he's a big dude, but at mm-hmm. that point, 2014 Russell Crowe was not, like, a spelter dude, and they gave him <laughs> a six-pack, and it's hilarious, and it must have been in his contract that if he's got to show his upper body, he can't show his real-ass dad bod. <laughs> it's so, He's super tan. He looks like the Hulk. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, his body does look sort of weird. You're right. Uh, like, there's just no if they way. Can put there's the no teeth, way. They can put the teeth on Will Smith. They can put abs on him. There's just no way. I mean, I, I wish there was a way, but we all know there's no way. What happened mm. to Russell Crowe? You know, he used to pick some good movies. Now he's just doing, uh, he's doing what he's doing. You know, we all, we all surf the wave of fame. Yeah. I mean, we don't. You and I don't. But they do. <laughs> yeah, it's a good ride. It took him to this place, and I am grateful for that. Because yeah, legit, there. Bananas movie and... I bet everyone's really embarrassed that they were in it, but I hope that they know that something magical happened along the way. Yeah, I'm, I, I salute them for it. I salute for them all. Yeah. Well, until next time, I'll be Henry. I'll be the horse. <laughs> <laughs> Experiment and fast forward into the future of acting. <laughs> <laughs>